Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 511 on a Tuesday, the 31st of January, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew, and this week we'll be noting how crisis negotiators who speak both French and Japanese have made a packet. We eat a little humble pie when it comes to new new car news, and we learn how one pop band got Norway all excited for EVs. Uh (laughs) But first we have some follow-up, and this is the story that is moving apace, even as we record this, that there are buyers being sought for British Vault. Mm-hmm. When we added the link to Peter Campbell's thread, Twitter thread, uh, in the show notes, there was five. There might actually be more by now, and today is apparently the day they are desperately trying to decide upon a buyer before the end of the month for, I don't know what reasons why it needs to be before the end of January, but it apparently does. Mm-hmm. And they come from all sorts. There's There's an Australian firm involved, there's plenty of others as ever, links in the show notes, and by the time this comes out, the story will have moved further on again. Again. I was going to say, you mean like it happened the other week? <laughs> and then we'll have to update it next week again. <laughs> Just have a look and see what's going on. Just one thing, though, and that's LinkedIn. I, I can't uh-huh. stand LinkedIn, <laughs> but I noticed that the former head of strategy yes, and whatever else for British Vault has been, has been posting on LinkedIn seems to be blaming absolutely everyone apart from British Vault. British Vault without the customer and without the product. That's the one thing she hasn't said. So everything has been the government's fault so far. Now, I am pretty much the first to stick the boot in any time it comes to to the government and big projects and stuff. But really, I, I think that this is quite... It's quite spectacular by declaring this is everyone else's fault. Uh, this has kind of been run the way big investment programs and projects are run. But this does seem to have been something of a surprise to yeah. British fault management. I, I could be being very harsh. I could be completely wrong, of course. But I'm not convinced I am. No, I, I don't think so. Because the, the language about this particular person when the redundancies were announced was, oh, we're terribly unlucky feel very bad for the employees, you know, bearing in mind this is the strategic director. Well, that's true. You can feel bad for yes. the employees. I mean, that's... But f- making it out as though they're just, just the company's just been unlucky and hmm. then coming out and responding to the FT's article about the government's, current British government's plans with subsidies and research and how that needs to change... And then saying, well, see, this is what caused British Vault to go all wahoony shaped. But as Alan said, and as we have said repeatedly, there is no product. There is no IP. There was no customers. And yet they employed over 300 people. (laughs) The money was only ever going one way at that point. As we said, when the rumours came out that Grant Shapps had said no to bringing money forward from the particular milestones that needed to be reached which again was apparently a bit of a surprise for them that they didn't expect milestones and releasing of cash at certain proof that they were moving forward as expected instead of just throwing our tax paid money away Mm. this was the one one of the few things that have actually congratulated the government on doing which was to not waste our money yeah I'm, i'm not buying that i'm not taking that and i don't think the person should be listened with any credulence at all and if anybody does sort of question my linkedin on that kind of thing then 
to, well, then, then do go look at it and you'll see that I've been involved with quite a lot of large projects and change and stuff like that where this is normal. Yeah, absolutely. I want to point out that I'm, I'm talking from some sort of point. Well, from knowledge I'm being, and experience. I'm, I'm, being, I'm, I'm being an argumentative, argumentative prat through knowledge and experience. Yes, that's it. Right, well, why don't you take us on to HMRC and then finally, after people campaigning, finally adjusting how they calculate something for yes. certain people. Tax mm. and stuff is something I'm not wonderfully knowledgeable about, to be honest. So let's let's make sure I'm clear where my failings lie as well. Um, but HMRC uh, is changing the way that the advisory electricity rate, or the AER, is calculated in order to reflect the prices of electricity and stuff. The AER is the rate used by companies to reimburse electric company car drivers for business mileage and was based only on an annual figure that was published by the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Yes, we all, we all know of them. And it's just tripped off our tongue. As well as the uh, electrical energy consumption for each car model, uh, which came from the Department of Transport. HMRC will use, will continue to use both of those figures, but they will also incorporate figures from the Office of National Statistics and their quarterly index for domestic electricity. It will be a little more flexible in order to reflect the costs of electricity. The outcome of this is that the AER increased from 5 to 8 pence per mile on the 1st of December and I think we can start to look at this probably changing more regularly than that yeah. uh, now. There was a poll by Fleet News, and of course the link to the story is in the, the show notes, which said that almost three quarters of respondents, um, 73.5% indeed, believed that it should be 10 pence per mile or more, where one in five said it should be three times the current rate, with it being about 15 pence per mile to cover their charging costs. Those are both believable numbers, really. I think. Well, because in 2017, when the average cost of standard electricity in the UK was 14.4 pence per kilowatt per hour, and that was what was first used to calculate the AER, as of the end of last year, it was 34p. Yeah. The 5p really isn't reflective. Even if you take into account, and this was a good point you made before we started recording, you, you did mention this, is the business in kind... Mm, benefit and kind, sorry, that people who have an EV get or the low rate that they, they pay as a consequence of having an EV mm. means that it sort of overall evens out whilst they don't necessarily get it straight back in their pocket via the amount that they're reimbursed mm. per mileage. I, I, it's it, I think the it's idea closer is... Than, it's a lot closer than it was, but I think yeah. than 10p a mile does seem fairer. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it's obviously the idea is that if you're running a battery electric vehicle as, as a company car, then then that's seen as greener, and therefore you're, um, and therefore you're not you're meant to be being rewarded for that, or not penalised as much. I think is probably a better phrase. Yes. So you're meant to be to be not being penalised quite as much for having these green cars, but there isn't quite the difference that there was previously. No. I'm going to take us on to new news now and the shock news of the week. And that's that uh, Akio Toyoda has stepped down as a Toyota CEO. 
He's going to take up the reins as Toyota chairman, and the Lexus and Gazoo racing boss will now be CEO. So this sort of came out of the blue, I have to say. Yeah, this was this was quite unexpected. Um, the only thing that that could have made it more more was that the Toyota's shares had dipped between below a certain point. I've now forgotten what that certain point was. I think it was two thousand yen. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong on that, and do feel free to to correct me. It had dropped slightly, and I think that he, according to the various statements that have been reported, he felt that you know maybe he he was too much of a a traditional car person, and that perhaps it was time to let someone else start to take the reins, who might be better at some of the other, who who might better be maybe more interested have more push into some of the areas of mobility, EVs, etc., etc. One of the key things, I think, and there's, there's obviously there's a lot of commentary on this, and there'll be links to a, a couple of those in the show notes. Yeah. Some of them say, well, you know, obviously this is because uh, there's behind on EVs. But then other comments are about, well, Toyota tries to deliver a full range right around the world. Yeah into a lot of developing countries as well, where people just don't have access to that much electricity. So Toyota can't sit there and go, yeah, yeah, we're going to go all EV, because they're not just in two or three territories around the world. They are everywhere, and they can't do that, because quite frankly, if they do that, they won't have any customers. Yeah. And and it's a little bit the other way as well. In maybe North America and, and, and Europe, people go, oh, they're not, not enough electric. And then complain that way that they might not have a, a, enough customers. But I think there's, there is an absolute, as a car person, there's an absolute sack load of positives to take out of his tenure. Oh, yeah. But I think... There's one the, of them parked the, in the street out the front. <laughs> yes. But I think one of the missteps has been how slow they have been to go to full ev i know certain reasons behind that you can see that by the way that they've they've developed things like they've spent so long with the hybrid technology but you would have hoped that the knowledge through the hybrid battery tech Hmm. they would have been able to move to full evs quicker but i think that's not just a toyota issue i would suggest that all the japanese car makers bar, bar nissan because of the leaf which is but, really a Renault. But that stopped. That hasn't really progressed until lately forward. I mean, they had the Leaf mm-hmm. and that was it for ages. So many, yeah. like the, we could say all the German companies didn't move on EVs at all mm-hmm. until Dieselgate. The Japanese ones went into that that's, tech that's, and then sorry, stopped. Sorry, that's not quite true. The exception to that is BMW and the i3. But yes, apart from that notable exception, you're right about the Germans, I think. The Americans weren't doing anything about that except Tesla. Mm-hmm. There's lots of fingers we can point at. Lots of terror. It's many as much as anything. It's lots of cultures. Yeah. But I would have hoped Toyota would have been further along the line. Although when you look at what they're saying they're going to bring out and what they've started to bring out, it does look, you know, they're not holding back. It's not one or two <laughs> models. They, no. They've got a massive, huge range between now and 2030, 2035, whatever the, the cutoff date is. I can't remember off the top of my head now. Mm-hmm. He said there's going to be no more boring cars. Yeah. And I think we can say with the Grim, with the GR <laughs> Yaris, with the Supra. With, GR86. Yeah, with Gazoo Racing, with the World Rally stuff. 
you know, all that things that they've done has, has just been, you know, it has stopped Toyota being a company that made white goods cars mm-hmm. into one that people are excited about. Yeah, and I saw some pictures of the, the launch of the, the facelifted Corolla, standard Corolla, not a GR Corolla, the other day, and people saying, and people saying, wow, this is a really nice looking car. That didn't happen for the Iris or any of the previous Corollas, you know, it just didn't happen. And there's a big trickle-down effect on that kind of thing as well. So we'll, we'll see what happens. People are saying there's not going to be a massive sea change, that the no more boring cars thing looks like it's going to continue because that has been quite successful. Well, the new boss is, was the boss of Gazoo Racing, yeah, which well, benefited directly from that. Yes. Also the boss of Lexus, which they've not been making boring cars for ages the styling may clash in personal terms with a few of them but yeah they are not boring cars true i think they realized to stand out and to to be the world's number one car seller you need mm-hmm. to make exciting products yeah yeah agreed well sticking with japan but also adding a slight french twist to it alan do you want to take us to the rebel alliance Yes, everybody's favourite alliance. Essentially, Nissan and Renault uh, have agreed that they are going to rejig the alliance a little bit. Uh, And the big news about the rejigging of the alliance is that it's going to make them more equal. One of the big bones of contention is that previously Renault owned 43% of Nissan and Nissan owned 15% of Renault and Nissan management were becoming increasingly unamused by this. <laughs> yes. And this is a large part of what formed the whole go. Yeah, thing. A- this this is really the core, mm. one of the core things behind it was seeing the loss of control owned by the French, etc. 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 Renault is going to decrease its stake in Nissan to 15%. Goodness, what a surprising number that is. Uh, <laughs> and that they will put 20%. 28% of the Japanese automaker into a French trust, and that will make them more equal. Yes. At the same time, we have mentioned before that Renault are starting essentially an EV side company, the name of which escapes me. At the is moment. it Ampere? It's Ampere, it is, yes. Which is a very good name for an EV company, really. They are both going to become almost equal. Well, Nissan are going to invest and take up a fair chunk of that. Was it 25? Note 15% percent the magic again. number. Do you know what? I started to doubt it because I had 15% in my mind from when I'd read this story before. Seems this is the only number they can all agree on. Yes, 15 is the magic number. <laughs> so there's a quite a lot of rejigging going on there. Do you think it's a good thing? I think everybody needed it in the Alliance. They needed to stop trying to eat themselves and mm. argue with each other, and they need they desperately need to be focusing on future products and moving things forward because the pace of change in the car industry is just astonishing at the minute. And they have, they both companies have got new models out which people are saying very positive things the about. Araya, for example. Yeah, and the Nissan products have been well received. Renault's latest models that are out have been well received. They've both taken an upturn from where they produce sort of like so-so stuff just mediocre car car uh, road furniture yeah and that's changed and if they can work together then obviously they can do this quicker 
plus the investments that's required for the circular economy and for EVs and for any driver assistance. It's just so expensive at the minute that mm-hmm. they have to pull. And I think we'll, yeah. I, I'm, we'll see, and we're already seeing it, although Ford and Volkswagen are stepping back from each other, but these big companies are going to have to work together and share a lot of technology and a lot of, a lot of investment yeah, because it's just too expensive to do, especially as there are more and more threats to their income, i.e. people buying cars because they won't be allowed to drive in certain areas or things like that. It, it, they're being pushed, for, squeezed, not even pushed, just squeezed from every direction now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that, that's one of the reasons Renault has its own sub, they're starting the whole sub-mobility thing. Yeah. But yeah, in related news, by the way, just in case you think this has all gone a bit wet, they, they have, uh, Nissan have released a new GTR. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they've, they've tweaked the front end, haven't it's they? very difficult to tell the difference from any of the other GTRs, but supposedly there is a there is another facelift of the GTR. I don't think it's being sold in Europe now. Though. No. I think, I think I know that because it's in North America. But just to confirm on this story, we'll find out the full details by um, the February the 6th, including what it means for Mitsubishi, because don't forget they're the... Mm-hmm. The forgotten ones, the, the, the forgotten trailing along in the background ones that have that got snapped up because they made such a horlicks of things and, mm-hmm. and got saved that way. It's odd seeing you and Mitsubishi on the road in the US. Yeah, yeah, it's all uh, it's it's over. It's really only Outlanders. Oh, Outlanders and the Mirage, <laughs> which just looks. It only seems to be available in hair shirt specification, and it just looks ridiculous <laughs> it's just like mm, I want a car no I don't really care about the car I just want it to be a car and it to be new that's it <laughs> Noise white as well that's like basically oh ouch and hopcaps more positive news then I'm going to take us to Jaguar Land Rover and they have posted their first profitable quarter since 2020 and hurrah we all say yes a lot of this is down to how well the new Range Rover and the new Range Rover lineup has been received in the US. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have bought them over there. I saw a Range Rover Sport last weekend. Oh, yeah? I had to do a double take because, first of all, I thought it was a Lincoln, <laughs> which isn't as ridiculous. If you're aware of the modern ranges, that's not as odd as it sounds. And I, it was going off a slip road, so I couldn't really see it. But I did a bit of a rubber rubber neck, and it was like, "Oh, that is a Range Rover Sport." But it looks kind of good. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think the latest Range Rover looks good mm. uh, as well, which is not a mean feat to pull off. So that's interesting. So they what they did is uh, pre-tax profits were two hundred and sixty-five million pounds. Now the same period the year before they'd made a loss of fifty-two million, but that obviously went down further and further over last year as the chip crisis kept hitting a Jaguar Land Rover. Obviously, not too much input from Jaguar in all this. This is mainly Land Rover side of things. Who? <laughs> because we're still waiting to find out what their strategy is going to be. It's going to be Bentley. Well, yeah, okay. Was that not the last boss who said that? That was the last they boss, do, they so do they need could to, all change. They do need to put a new boss in and then decide what they're going to do. Mm. Mm, it makes me worry. But at least there is some good news for Jaguar Land Rover and we are delighted that we can say some good news. I know, because it. sometimes you just feel that you probably do beat some companies with sticks. Yeah, absolutely. Because all that comes out is a bit rubbishy. So it's nice to see something like that and be able to say something positive. It yeah. is. 
talking of uh, rubbishy news, you want to take us for a quick spin to one road on one particular stretch in France? <laughs> yes, so this is a road out in the commune of Sergey-sur-Bray, which I'm sure you all know of. And that is in Loire-et-Cher, and it's on the D357 between Le Mans and Orléans, and it's on a hill. Okay. And what this camera has done is it sent out 50,000, it's flashed 50,000 vehicles uh, in the course of a month. Is that normal? No, last year it's, it flashed 53 in the same period. Okay. So somebody noticed this then? <laughs> Eventually, this was noticed. And it turns out that what's happened is they pointed the speed camera the wrong way. Um, it was a setup issue. So there's an there's an sort of asymmetric speed limit because there is a downhill. On the downhill side, the speed limit is lower Yeah. to sort of keep back trucks and stuff. So it's quite a steep hill. And on the uphill side, the speed limit is just as you'd expect. So they pointed it the wrong way. It was putting the lower speed limit onto the side of the road that had the, that had the higher limit. <laughs> Sent out about 50,000 tickets. The mayor of the commune, uh, the police, and everyone is basically saying, look, if you get a ticket, let's just ignore it. Don't even try and pay it. That's, uh, will uh, all be they will all be cleared in time. Just don't pay it. I thought that was a hilariously very French way to react to this thing because over here in the UK, if we if we'd had that, it would be no, you need to f submit and fill out the form to say you're no. That's when the camera was incorrectly calibrated. Therefore, please let me off this thing or something like that. Whereas They'd over there, over there in France, it. they just basically go. Ah, civil disobedience. Give it. Yes. Tell them to get stuffed. Just ignore it. It's so, fine. So the, the statement from the mayor's office was, we are sorry for everyone affected and we can only advise people not to pay these fines. It was a similar one from the, from, from the local gendarmerie as well. Just good luck. A similar thing happened in Charente-Maritime in 2022, it, it seems as well. <laughs> but official cancellation notices will ultimately follow. That's the important bit. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. From people going too fast to people potentially not stopping. Volvo has recalled over 100,000 cars globally because there is the risk of the automatic safety brake not deploying whilst on the move. Now, this is a rare, it needs to be made clear, this is rare, not common and this is could happen as we needs to be said in a lot of these recalls it is taking the worst case mm -hmm. scenario which in this instance would be bad uh, and reacting to it which is what we hope all proper and grown-up car companies do and we see increasingly they are is it worth saying at this point it doesn't impact when the driver manually brakes via the brake pedal that's correct so it's not actually something brake working it is the automatic emergency braking yes that is what it is anyone with one of the cars affected will be contacted by volvo uh, and they will be brought in and it will be updated and all sorted out okay do you want to take us to the uk government and them spending some cash uk government are spending some cash to decarbonize our roads and i read that and thought what on earth is this this is looking at different ways to 
to essentially build, maintain roads in a way that is that is more environmentally friendly. There's a number of different things that they're looking at, uh, and that includes things like making uh, bitumen and tarmac atom from other substances. Mm-hmm. It's quite important because it seems that there's a bit of an asphalt shortage in this country right at the moment, which probably probably isn't helped by the great big holes in the road everybody needs to fill. Um, but it's actually quite interesting the way it's all being divvied up. Yes. It I don't know. Has, if you has been this. spread around. It has very much spread around because we started in the north where North Lanarkshire Council will build a centre dedicated to testing and developing materials recycled from other industries to build roads. So that might include um, demolition rubble and that mm. kind of thing being mixed in, especially at the at the base level underneath yeah. the asphalt, uh, which is perfectly sensible. We'll talk about loads of that kind of thing. You can also mix other things into concrete as well to enhance properties there. I've seen that demonstrated in the past at, at uh, uh, mining and construction shows. Transport for West Midlands will be investigating wider decarbonized highway materials. Which I think goes into part of what I was talking about. Yeah. Well, I mean, plastic safety barriers or something. That's the opposite, isn't it? Yeah, there won't be plastic. No. Hemp. Hemp. <laughs> hemp, hemp, hemp. Hemp safety rope down the middle of the motorways. Yeah, that works. Uh, South Gloucester Council and West Sussex County Council will collaborate to develop green infrastructure, which includes building roads from biomass and green waste. <laughs> Just sounds gross. Yes. Uh, East Riding of Yorkshire Council will work to increase low carbon lighting. Uh, lighting efficiency while optimizing visibility in order to deploy new highway lighting, road markings, and signage. Well, on that front, but yeah, but associated with that, there's a huge junction that feeds a couple of motorways and main roads near Liverpool that the cat's eyes actually light up depending on which traffic lights from which filter lanes that you're being brought in, you are guided along the road by the cat size oh, that's really which, cool. which would which then reduces how much lighting they need overhead because mm. you're following the lights along the road in the dark and low light conditions which i think is a really great idea and it makes it so easy to spot as well oh, that's really cool yeah some so those, maybe it's that sort of some thing. of those are really cool they've got some have solar on the top but also they're charged by cars running over them Oh, so it's like a... So it's, as you run over it, you basically... It's like one of those dynamo torches we had when we were little because yeah. we were that age. Uh, where you sort of pump them to, 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 generate, to generate electricity. They, they kind of do that, but then store it in your battery. Just enough to generate the LEDs. Yeah. Yeah, no. So that there are things that will actually help us rather than it be purely infrastructure that we won't see mm-hmm. in all this. Two more. Uh, Liverpool City Council will explore a host of decarbonisation systems specifically for cities. And Somerset County Council, Cornwall Council and Hampshire County Council will pioneer net zero roads that will be built without creating more carbon emissions in nine net zero corridors. There's quite a lot of inverted commas in there, which I hope you could hear them. <laughs> yes, that's... Mm. Yes, so they're all going to be looking to examine alternative fuels, asphalt additives, etc, 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 etc. Sounds like a good plan. Kind well, of nice it's been spread around, to be I, perfectly honest. I like the fact that they're looking at all sorts of it, uh, you know, all aspects of the infrastructure. Um, I, I think that's that's got it's needed, it's desperately needed because mm. it's not all about the tailpipe emissions. It's not, you know, it's the, it's the whole, 
It's the interconnectedness of everything. You try not to say circular economy, aren't Yeah, you? I desperately tried not to. Yeah, you failed. Well, no. No, you, I was okay because you did it. He was moving his arm in a circle, everyone. <laughs> that was the giveaway. The arm was going in a circle. It's like a, sitting beside a windmill. Well, it could also be seen as the sign for wrapping up the end of part one. Well, it could, <laughs> yes. Uh, which, of course, means that it's Guild Minute. Quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that motoring podcasts are worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, then you can help by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very much indeed. Then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Just quickly, on the mention of the spring store, mm. having a chat earlier on, and someone was saying that stuff that they ordered some time ago has still taken a while to arrive from outside the UK. It seems that sort of Christmas and strikes and then Royal Mail systems breaking in spectacular fashion by because they're not maintained. If you if you've heard any of my rants about airlines and airline IT, apply to Royal Mail as well. <laughs> and um, and yes, so stuff is seems to be taking its time. I'm really sorry. Spring seemed pretty good, looking good when I've ordered stuff. It will get to you. It just might take a while. Yep. Ain't nothing. And there's nothing can do about it. Nothing Spring can do about Royal Mail and not processing packages from abroad. Thank you for your patience. Anyway, uh, you can't use Andrew. Yes, and didn't the internet get all excited about news from Suzuki? They confirmed that there will be an electric chimney, and I was one of those who got excited too, I have to admit. And this was actually part of one of five new EVs that they are going to launch in Europe. By 2030, which was... So, so at some point in the next eight years, <laughs> you'll see an electric chimney, everyone. Yeah. That That's was... just about the time that a standard chimney will have made it to 60 miles an hour. <laughs> yes. Uh, that, that was the bit that I, I deflated slightly, I have to say. But this is all part of a, a huge investment that Suzuki is making into electrification. They are putting £3 billion worth of investment into battery development. Uh, that, and that will include them making a. Um, they will also be building a battery factory, uh, which is costing significantly more than that. But their first EV, they've released some images. I think uh, on this was the well, the images of a concept, the EVX concept, which is about um, an S cross sized crossover. S size, all the all the crosses. So that's that's focus size, by the way. Just for anyone who can't remember what size an S-cross is because they're so hard to spot. Well, it depends if it was the first version, then it was those horrific chrome grills. Yes. <laughs> that they then I toned down. You know I had completely forgotten about the chrome grill. I was thinking of the one that was the same as the Fiat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I had completely forgotten about the chrome grill version. But that's going to have apparently about 342 miles range, so that's quite a good start. And Then there's going to be two other... Um, SUVs, I think about uh, Vitara sized 
uh, Grand Vitara sized um, that will come out in due course. And of course, we don't know any real details about the electric Jimny. I would imagine it's going to look like a Jimny, but have battery packs. Well, there's silhouettes. There is a. There seems that there was a, a an infographic of sorts that was released by Suzuki, and it's been reproduced in this autocar story. Again, link in the show notes. And so it looks like a Jimny, but with LED headlamps and a light-up grill. I mean, that's that's what I take from this. What I'm interested in is that they're saying one of those five models is probably going to be Kaikar size. Interesting. So, like uh, a Wagon R. Mm. That's cool. Yes, absolutely. But this this all ties in what you were saying before about Toyota and the markets that they are generally in. This is European specific because Europe's making such strides to being electrified and cleaning up. Suzuki a, a is a emission. big big player in India. Oh yeah. <laughs> Suzuki is huge in developing countries and in third world countries and those sort of regions. So it cannot afford to just cut off internal mm. combustion engines. Because they have to fund the, well, it just says here, the 15 billions in the battery plant, the 3 billion in developing battery tech. Yeah. You, that's a lot of money. <laughs> However you slice it up, you've got to sell a lot of things mm-hmm. to be able to recoup that and make that worthwhile. And, and, and Suzuki no longer have any presence in uh, North America. Okay. Not for the last couple of years, it seems. And that's one market where even Mitsubishi are in North America. Mm. But... You know that, that's that's one of these sort of electrifying markets, which which is there's no point in this investing for that because they're just not in it. No. Do you want to bring us back to Britain though? Well, yes. Um, now we've had a little bit of debate about this before we started recording because I think that this is almost follow up because I feel that maybe a year eighteen months ago. We did a story about the Wells Vertige, and I think I said, well, that's all very nice, but like so many of these things, I doubt we'll ever hear about it again. I bet we use TVR as well. In Probably all muttered something about TVR. I may even have almost, no, not so much Ginetta, but I may have muttered about that. Wells Vertige is to be a new £50,000 British sports coupe. It was revealed in summer 2021 so i'll bet you that that's when we talked about it yes and they're saying that they're going to be available in mid 2023 well they will have produced them in mid 2023 because they'd already sold the allocation of 25 production models Mm -hmm. so far so this is customers actually getting delivery of them yes yeah so that's not like oh we might actually just make it this is 25 people receiving their car. Yes. What's interesting about this as well, I mean, it's a kind of 1960s style, sort of 1960s mm. mid-engine Lotus look to it. Yeah, there's, de- there's definite, yeah. And it is being built in a new factory uh, in a place called Bishop's Itchington in Warwickshire, which is not far. I know, it makes me laugh every time. When I first moved down to England, sure, my boss lived around. And we used to have to go go to his meetings and yeah, Bishop's Itchington signs always made me chuckle. It's really not far from Gaydon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's maybe 10, 15 minutes from Gaydon. Okay. Lots and lots of automotive engineers around there. That sort of area. But they've been doing test miles and 
testing and testing and testing, and that's what they've been up to since uh, since 2021. They've spent lots of time on wind noise and all sorts of bits and pieces, and all sorts of the little niggly things that are really hard yeah. when you're making a new car, really. But the idea is that it uses as many local suppliers as possible, that they've got, you know, they've trained a local, a, a manufacturing team and all sorts of stuff like this. So it does seem to be, I was going to say a local car for local people, but that really is not being very kind to it at all. But there's a lot of trying to, to make the supply chains as short as possible by the looks of it, mm. trying to make sure it is, there is refinement, yep. which is the light that, so there's a quote here, autocar story, Steve Cropley, uh, and he's saying that wind noise has been defeated by subtle modifications to door apertures, new door seals, all these kind of things. The stuff that's really, really hard if you're a small manufacturer. Yeah. This is all pretty good news. This sounds yeah. very, very cool. I am happy to eat humble pie on this one. I saw my, actually. The uh, more I read, the more of that pie I'm quite happy to eat, actually. Yeah, and the keeping it to 50K. Yeah. Uh, okay, it, people are going to possibly raise an eyebrow at only 208 horsepower but it weighs 850 kilos or something it's ridiculous so it is you know you're talking five seconds naught to 60 with a top speed or just under five seconds with a top speed of close to 140 mile an hour in a vehicle like this when you sit like your bum is on the road yeah basically. you tell what religion the grit is yes exactly <laughs> in the tarmac there you go. then then it is got i bet it feels really far Oh, it's going to it feel yeah. fantastic. Yeah. I'd love to try it. Because with that, that lightweight, you can have compliant suspension. You can have all sorts of nice stuff like that. And I bet it. There are some good roads around there. Yeah. It, it's so, just around the corner from Cafe and the Machine. Uh, I'm excited so. to keep an eye on this one. Uh, and I hope they I hope they continue. To, I hope they sell next year as well. Yeah, they I'm seem sure. to be doing this in stages and managing their own expectations and anyone else involved in the project's expectations and trying to do it properly. And it sounds like they don't want to grow too big either. Yes. But yeah. do read the article, uh, Steve Cropley, so it's obviously excellent, but he explains a lot of the background stuff that, as Alan was saying, is very tricky or trips up small car manufacturers. Absolutely. And we've heard things from other sources as well haven't we? yes we have yes. right well moving into points of interest and i'm going to start with the lunchtime watch this week because last year uh, a listener whose name i cannot remember because i cannot find it on the twitter thread suggested this to us so if you were the listener that suggested super coopers on the nicole johnson's detour please do let us know that it was you because I'm so sorry because I want to thank you properly for it and not just this mess that I've just made of it. But this is all about a chap in America. Tyler Gildred is, well, it says in the, in the description, obsessed with minis, uh, the original mini. And he is. If you watch the video, you will see his. Yard and his barn workshop and everything. It's amazing. I mean, th this would be great. amazing if it was the UK, but he's in America and he has properly taken to the mini to the point where he's actually stuck a honda vtech and made it a mid-engined car and that's amazing but we're not suggesting because we know that's sacrilege for a lot of very people. different from Mugen mighty car mods is one by the way 
Yes. The attention to detail and the engineering that goes into this, considering it's a you know, bloke in a barn, as it were. I know he's got a proper workshop and everything, but the, the, it is great. But he's also they also explore his other non or more original style minis as well. And it's it's just fabulous because that someone in America celebrates such iconic British car is brilliant. Can I just quickly say, there are a couple of misspeaks near the beginning, <laughs> which you as our listeners will pick up on. Just let them go. Don't don't write off. Enjoy don't the whole ride. The don't don't that. fixate. Just, just, just enjoy. <laughs> don't don't fixate on a couple of misspeaks. Okay, please. Right. He's talking to himself now. I had a bit of a moment uh, about it, and then actually thought, no, I really enjoyed all of that. So <laughs> I'm just warning you guys because we're all as bad as each other. Um, yeah, just do. <laughs> just, just, just let it go. Let it go. Just enjoy the fun because it, it is all fun. Frozen effect. It is fun. A list of the week then this week. Mm. Good, bad or ugly, the biggest automotive fads. Uh, and it is a list from Autocar. It is an Autocar slideshow. that appears to work. Okay, wow. There's a lot of good ones here. There's a lot of bad ones. There are some pretty awful ones too. Uh, Andrew, do you have any particular... I have a positive good one. Okay. It, it was a bit close because there was another one that was similar, but my positive good one is spotlights. Oh, yeah. I I have yet to see a car where spotlights don't make it better. Sometimes it's because it's a very ugly car and it's disguising the front of the car. But in here, I mean, there's a number here. Is there any in here that um, maybe you want to go to the less positive side of things. Well, I, there is. Then, I mean, there are some which are very obvious. Um, and I think that I would be doing a disservice uh, with that. I'm, I'm just quickly flicking through to see if there is one particular one which I can't see. So I'm going to choose the background one there, which is the trapped hands. Yeah, that the is. trapped fingers one hanging out from the boot. Um, which is ha, ha ha fake hands that look like someone's trapped in a boot. Um, that's that's funny at Halloween. Yeah, that's funny at Halloween for maybe like the night of, of Halloween, a couple of days before, perhaps. I'll give you that long. Yeah, okay. Maybe up until the weekend afterwards, if it's you know middle of the week for Halloween. But yeah, uh, the, there are other body parts hanging off the back of vehicles. I was looking to see if that was listed there uh, because that's terribly unfunny as well. Yeah. There are some crackers in there as well. So do run through the list. Don't forget to tell us if you agree with our choices mm -hmm. uh, and what you would pick. There's some there which I cannot tell if they are positive or, or negative, to be honest. Um, I think it depends on your mood. It depends on my mood and your choice, your tasting cars. <laughs> Very much. Uh, so I think that brings us to the end, finally, Andrew. It does. And this is from the BBC News and this is an article that is headlined How Pop Band Aha Inspired Norway's Electric Car Revolution. Now, this is quite the tale because they go back to the 80s and there was environmental activists. Now, right, don't spit your tea out and get all cross, everybody. Just bear with in this one because this appears to be a way that they could demonstrate, unlike the 
current activists who glue themselves to a road. Yeah, well, this was this was basically, you know, when you think when you read it back, when you read the article, you realize that they sort of started the whole the whole Norway as it is now. Yeah, with just about every vehicle is an EV. Yeah, because what they did is these uh, environmental activists got together with Aha, and they got an electric, a converted electric Fiat Panda, so that, that already makes it quite cool, a converted electric Panda, and they drove around Norway, breaking the law, as in they wouldn't pay toll booths, they parked illegally, you know, sort of minor nuisance stuff rather than, oh, we'll block a motorway mm. by going on a gantry, to raise the point. And because AHA were involved, obviously this made the news all the time which then got people to pay attention to uh, zero emission vehicles. And then we can easily see the link as it moves down the year to Norway using their sovereign fund to subsidize and make it to the point where they, the majority of cars sold in Norway now are electric vehicles and will soon only be electric vehicles. Mm. Uh, and that's a remarkable bit of history into <laughs> into changing uh, the culture of a country. Yep. Yeah, it's really good. It's really interesting. It just, just made me kind of, kind of smirk a little bit as I, as, as I read it. So. Yeah. That's about that. No particular parish notes this week. Nope. Nope. Uh, as you see, we didn't manage video. Um, we just, it's weird. We're just not set up for being in the same room at the same time. No. It's weird. It is so much easier for us to record with an ocean in between, apart from time differences. Yeah, I dread to think that the editing is going to be like anyway. Yeah, because <laughs> we're in the same. Because we're just not. Because I'm just not used to it. So the setup is not for that. So we're fingers crossed. This has come out all right, and you've listened to this far. <laughs> yes, yeah. well, it looked all right. It sounded all right through our headphones when we were testing. So, but anyway, um, yes. Don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts, the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of MotoringPodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crap Windscreen, you'll find me there. If you're into Mastodon, you can find my Mastodon address in my Twitter profile. And Alan, if people would like to talk to you personally and understand the horrors of being in the same room with me, what's the best way for them to do that? It's just awful. The uh, best way to get in touch with me is to use Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. Again, same name um, on Mastodon as well. We'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.